many of us as Christians are trying to figure out today who we are. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you, O God, for giving unto us eternal life through Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that salvation is something, O God, that we do not earn, but something that is given unto us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and because of his work on the cross. Father, I pray today that you would help us to understand more clearly who and what we are in Christ. And that we would begin, as we look at this for the next couple of weeks of our identity, that, Lord, that we would come to a fuller understanding of our purpose and our reason for being. And that we ourselves would not deny who we are, nor would we be ashamed of what we are in Christ. Lord, may you minister to us, and may your Holy Spirit, O oh God, guide us, and may he speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. The Christian has to really come to a place to really understand that they are different. Different from people in this world. We don't talk like many of the people in this world. Nor should we look like many of the people in this world. In our dress and our mannerism as people observe us. There should be something different about us. Now ask yourself this question. Who are you? Who are you? I can answer that by saying I'm an African American male. That would be correct as far as identification on the outside. But is that really who I am? No. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. That's my real identity. And when people are confused about their real identity, they are confused about their purpose for being. They will be confused about their purpose for being. So we have people going around saying, I'm a Christian, but their life in no way looked like a Christian. There's no problem of people identifying me as a black male. Why? You can see it very clearly. My Christianity is something that has to be portrayed. And people really have to see it. To be able to identify, that's a Christian man. That's a godly man. That's a Christian woman. That's a godly woman. That has to be portrayed. That has to be seen. And you have to be willing to reveal it and show it and allow people to see it. And you need to really ask the question, who are you? Who are you? What is your real identity? What's your real identity? Because if you really know who you are and understand your real identity, 
It will drive you in everything you do. It will be part of that driving mechanism in your life. The Christian identity crisis. Do we know who we are as Christians? I think we use the terminology, I'm a Christian, but I don't think we really understand what it means to be a Christian. Do we know how we should live as a Christian? And if I know how I am to live as a Christian, am I ashamed of that? A lot of people grow up in their homes and they become ashamed of the home or the environment in which they come out from. You know, when we went to school, and some of you will relate, I don't know how many of you remember the Miracle Mart down on Exchange Street. Okay. If you went and shopped at the Miracle Mart, you were poor. <laughs> and you didn't want people to know when you went to school at West Virginia High that you shopped at the Miracle Mart. It was better to go to Robert Hall. You really didn't want to say Robert Hall. <laughs> but that identity for young people was very important. And they still try to show off their identity by what they what? Wear. And we stumble over that constantly. This thing of identity. Who are we? But if I'm ashamed of my family, I won't talk about my family. If I'm ashamed of my environment, which I come out from, I try to forget it and I move on and I don't even try to associate with it. You can never run away from your path. You can never run away from where you were birthed or the home that you grew up in. You can never run away from certain things in life. You have to identify with that and that's part of you. That doesn't mean you have to live there. We are using the word Christian without identifying all the ratifications or all the meaning of the word Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. What does it mean when a Muslim say America is a Christian nation? And when they look at it, it's a horrible thing. It's a miserable thing. And when they look at what they think is the Christian life and the way Christians live and what Christians do, boy, it's bad. And they don't want nothing to do with it. They don't want nothing to do with it. So this whole thing of Christianity and identifying with it, how many of you really want, deep in your heart, want to identify with Christianity? And want to be known as a Christian? Want to really be known as a Christian? To be known as a godly woman? To be known as a godly man? To be known as a follower of Christ? You really want that? Because, see, that becomes part of your drive if you really desire it. Identity crisis, the condition 
of being uncertain. When you find Christians who don't live like Christians, they're going through this identity crisis or either they're not really born again. They're going through the crisis or they're not born again. One or the other. The crisis is, I don't really identify yet with what has taken place in my life. I don't really identify with the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm not understanding it yet. And that's causing an identity crisis to take place. Identity crisis, the condition of being uncertain of one's feelings about what? Oneself. I call myself this, but I'm not living this. Many African Americans went through an identity crisis. That's why it came back in the 60s or 70s that I'm black and I'm. What were we trying to build? A pride. A pride within a group of people. Because there was an identity crisis of what? Identifying with who? With what I really am. And I can't run from that. And he says it's an uncertain of one's feelings about oneself. How do you really feel about yourself? Do you really feel that you're born again? Do you really feel that God loves you? Do you really feel that God really values you and you're important? Do you really feel or sense that if you were the only person whom God would have had to send his son for, he would have sent his son just for you? Oftentimes people say, well, we can't deal with our feelings. And that's true to a certain extent. But our feelings has a lot to do sometimes with our what? Our decision making and how we what? Act. And portray ourselves. Our feelings have a lot to do with it. And what the reality of our feelings is saying sometimes is that I'm uncertain. I'm uncertain that I'm loved. I'm uncertain if I really fit into this family. I'm uncertain if I'm really wanted by this family. I'm uncertain if I'm appreciated by the group that I'm with. I'm uncertain. It's not clear. It's not clear to me who I am in Christ. Identity crisis deal with the regard of our character our goals, and our origin. Turn with me to John 3. Verses 6 and 7. Because here's something that we have to make very clear and we have to know it. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh in verse 6. But the Spirit gives birth to what? To Spirit. 
Do you know if you have experienced a spiritual birth? Do you know if you have experienced a spiritual birth? Or are you just responding to what parents have taught you, what church life has taught you, what was good and acceptable in your home? Or have you truly experienced the Spirit of God quickening your spirit? And that you can know without a shadow of a doubt that you're born from above and not just from flesh. For the Spirit gives life to spirit. And that's the part we have to identify. Have you truly been born from above? Has God really done a work in your life that you can identify? And that you know. And it's not just saying words to please people. The Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And you should not be surprised at my saying. You must be born again. By the work of the Spirit of God. Can you identify with that? Do you know that that's happened in your life? That you just didn't mumble some words just to please somebody. You didn't come up front just to do something, to be recognized or to be seen. But that you truly know that God, through the Spirit of God, has touched your spirit. And you are alive to the living God. And that you have experienced a new birth. A spiritual birth. Not just a mental transition. But a spiritual birth. That cries out in you for more of the living God. Romans 8, 9. Romans 8, 9. As we experience this, something should take place in our lives that allows us to really be able to identify that I am of the Lord and the Lord is working in my life. It begins to change my character. It begins to change the goals that I have because my goals become no longer just fleshly goals. My goals become more in line with God's plan for my life and what God would have for my life. And I'm desiring more of God's plan than trying to fit God into what? Into my plan. Oftentimes we want to live out our plan and say, God bless my plan. And the goal is, Lord, what's your plan for my life? And that becomes my goal, my desire. That's what I work for. That's what I give things up for, to be able to please God and meet His goal. For he says in verse 9, he says, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature. Are you experiencing that? 
that your life is not being controlled by your sinful nature, by your own rationale. You're not leaning on your own understanding, but you can really sense and know that the Spirit of God is leading your life. And that decisions are made from the Word of God being fed into you by the Spirit of God that you're able to make sound decisions that are pleasing to God. Because you're not making decisions from worldly objectives. You're not making your decisions based really on your feelings of how the world somehow taunts you. But they're coming from the Word of God and the confirmation of the Spirit of God. And now you're being led by the Spirit of God into this or out of this. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, if the Spirit of God lives lives in you, if the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Can you identify what the Spirit is doing in your life? Can you identify that the Spirit is working in your life? You need to be able to do that. This is how the Spirit of God is leading me. This is what the Spirit is teaching me. This is what the Spirit is doing in my life at this time. And to be able to truly identify it. When you lose your identity, you lose your real purpose of life and drive for life. It will take you down a different avenue, a different way of living. And God won't make you or confine you to just a Christian lifestyle. You have to desire that. You have to want that. But you need to understand, when you lose the identity of a Christian, you've lost quite a bit. You've lost quite a bit. Go to 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, see if I can go find it here. Second Corinthians 4 and verse 7. In the Greek, the word treasure here is God's storehouse. God's storehouse. It's where God takes that which is valuable to him and he stores it. God's storehouse. We don't find it in too many places. In Malachi, it says, bring all your tithes, where at? Into the storehouse. Here's the same storehouse. He says, but we have this treasure, this storehouse, that God is storing something. 
this treasure in jars of clay. What's the clay? That's our bodies. That's us. But we have this treasure of, in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We have the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and God Himself in us. These earthly clay vessels demonstrating the power of God through our lives. God is demonstrating. Every time He restrains you, every time He opens up a door, Every time he gives you wisdom from above. What God is demonstrating is his power over the natural. And he says he's put this power into these earthly clay bodies. Do you identify with that? Do you identify that Christ is living in you? Do you identify that the Holy Spirit is living in you? Do you identify that God is investing his word into you? Just like if you were to take money and invest it into a bank. God is depositing into you himself. And he says... I'm going to make this deposit into you because I trust you. I trust you. Do you trust God with your life? Look at what God is trusting you with. Are you trusting Him with your life. Identity again. Identity. The condition or fact of being. Catch the word here. Pacific person. Pacific person. Somebody special. Somebody peculiar. Do you identify with some of the Names that God placed upon you that you're his saints. Do you identify as being a saint? Do you identify as being a child? Do you identify as being a peculiar treasure? Do you identify as being a messenger? Do you identify as being a servant of the Lord? Do you identify as being beloved of the Lord? Do you identify as being the apple of God's eye? A Pacific person. In God's sight, I am a Pacific person. Or thing or individuality. The condition of being the same as a person or thing. Now catch this. Described or claimed. I describe myself as a what? Am I the same as Christ? In my description, I'm claiming to be a Christian. Am I the same as the person of Christ? 
If I claim to be this, I have to resemble this. If I claim to be this, I've got to resemble that. Whatever I'm claiming myself to be, I have to resemble that. And if I'm claiming myself to be a Christian, a follower of Christ, I have to resemble that. I have to have that identity of being a Christian. Or I'm lying to who? Myself, deceiving myself, and lying to the public. I'm trying to convince people that I'm something, that I'm what? That I'm not. And you know what really hurts? I'm trying to convince me by all these boundaries I put on myself and I become very legalistic about myself because I'm trying to prove to myself this is what I am and in reality I'm not. And he says, boy, the condition of being the same as a person or thing described or claimed to be. Go to Romans 8, verse 29. Romans 8, verse 29. He says, we'll get there. Wait on me. Because God has predestined us to be just like his son. So in verse 29, he says, For those God foreknew, and God foreknew all who were going to be saved, all who would come to him. And this becomes God's plan then. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed, to be likeness of his son. To be like what? Like his son. Like his son. Are you identifying with Christ? And do you see yourself becoming more like him? Are you becoming more like Christ? Are you looking like Christ? Acting like Christ? Talking like Christ? Do you identify with Christ? The identity crisis, when it takes place, you want to make changes. And a lot of Christians want to make changes in the way in which God does things, and then they wonder why it doesn't work out. When we look at Israel, Israel had an identity crisis. Oftentimes they had an identity crisis. If we look at our own lives, we have many identity crises at times. Whether it's around the family, whether it's around work, whether it's around sports, whether it's around this. I can think I'm a great football player and I'm not. I can think I'm a great basketball player and this old man thought he was and trying to make a move like he was when he was 20 or 16 and this knee just... We can have a wrong perspective of ourselves. 
we can see ourselves differently than what other people see us. But we have to be able to identify with ourselves. Israel had their identity problems. Go to 1 Samuel 8, 19. I want you to hear what Israel. God chose Israel for himself. But Israel got to a point. No, I don't want this kind of life. Um, And Israel wanted to come in and they wanted to make the rules and Oftentimes in Christianity, you'll hear Christians beginning, they want to change the rules. They want to change the way God operates. They want to change the way God is going to do things. And they're going to say to God, okay now Lord, you're going to be my Lord, but this is how I'm going to live. And it won't work that way. Okay Lord, uh, you said this, but I'm going to say this, and uh, if we're going to walk together, this is how it's going to have to be. In 8.19, well, let's go back to verse 6 first. 8 verse 6. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all the people. Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their what? As their king. Now, understand what they want is a king. They want somebody else over their life, ruling their life, other than the Lord. And oftentimes as Christians, we come into that also. We want somebody else to rule over our lives other than God. And oftentimes that's me. That's me. I want to rule. I want to rule. Come on down to verse 19 now. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. When you want your way about things, the first thing you'll do is refuse to hear the Lord. You refuse to hear what God's word is saying. That is one of the first telltale signs that you're having an identity crisis. If your mouth is saying you're a Christian. Because as a Christian, one of the first persons you want to hear from is who? Is God. You can always tell that children are having an identity crisis at home. Or find shame at home. Or find this at home. Because they'll take the advice from everybody else other than who? Parents. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said. We want a king over us. Then we will be like. Underline that word like. I don't want to be 
holy. I don't want to be the chosen ones. I don't want to be this. I don't want to be that. I want to be like this. I want to do what they do. I want to act the way they act. I want to be able to live the way they live. Then we will be like all the other nations. Well, God didn't call you out from among all the other nations to be like the other nations. He called you out to be a peculiar people. He called you out to be a chosen people. He called you out to be someone different that the rest of the people would take notice of. Then we will be like all the other nations with the king, listen to this, to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. Now, Go through anywhere in Scripture and show me when God led them into battle that they lost. God never lost a battle. But yet you want a king to lead you in battle. But you have someone who has led you into success. And you're saying, I don't want to follow you no more. Someone has brought you out of darkness. Someone has brought you out of the mire clay. Someone who has set your feet upon a solid foundation. Someone who's really loving you. Someone who's really caring for you. Someone who's really teaching you. And all of a sudden you're saying, I don't want you no more. I want to be like the world. I want to be like these other folks. The Christian is saying that to God today in many ways. I want to be like the world. I want to live like the world. I want to party like the world. I want to talk like the world. I want to go through divorces like the world. I want to fight like the world. I want to look like the real world. You're in this world, but you're not of this world. You are different. And one of the hardest things for Christians to accept is God's plan that we're different. We're different. We're different. If men would only accept what God says they are, And live out what God says they are to be. What a difference this world would be. What a difference this world would be. Men have no problem fathering children. Our problem is what? Being responsible for them. Taking care of them. One of our things of proving ourselves of men. Oh, I'm a man because... I got five children, seven children. The question is, are you responsible for them? Are you helping to raise those children? That's the real man. That's the real man. That's the real individual. That individual is identifying themselves, not as 
somebody who's an adulteress or fornicator, someone just going around creating children, but is the real deal a godly man taking care of his godly responsibilities. Go with me, go with me to Isaiah chapter 30. Listen again to Israel. And if you were to look at Second Chronicles 36, you'll see that God sent Israel into captivity under Nebuchadnezzar. But even before Cyprus is born, he speaks to Cyprus because God destroys the temple, destroys everything when he takes them in and takes away the valuable things out of the temple. But then he says to Cyprus, even before Cyprus is born, you will build my temple. Now, I want you to take a look at something. Cyprus is not a Jew. Cyprus was not one of the called ones to do this. But for God to bring shame upon his people even, God will use something else. One of the things I've been toying with in my own mind, and I'll share it since I had this few minutes. Remember when we tried to get rid of alcohol and so forth? And uh, the whole process, we could not get rid of alcohol, so what did we do with it? We legalized it. We came on down through the years. And we kept seeing immorality take place in our society. So we made it legal and we called it common law what? Marriage. And we put the word marriage on it. But it's common law marriage. Because we couldn't control all that was happening between our younger generations and the shacking up and the living together. So we called it common law marriage. Well, now we didn't threw that out. But we tried to make it legal. Now, since we can't control the gay community, and they're all coming out, we're going to make that legal. Anything we can't control, we try to do what? Legalize it in order to have some control over it. So even with smoking this weed or whatever we call marijuana or whatever it is out there, I mean the whole thing, we can't control it. And even the bank called one or two of the companies and said, you can't send any more money to the bank. It's more than what we can handle right now because they were selling so much. But we legalized it to try to have some control over it. In all those situations that I've mentioned, the real silent voice and the people who would not stand up have been Christians. Have been Christians. So, uh, so I'm, I'm toying with something. Somebody said, you're going to get in trouble if you use that terminology. Uh, the, the next billboard we put out we're saying to Christians, come out the closet. Everybody else coming out. We might always join the crowd and come on out. And be who we are, Christians. Identify with who we are, Christians. And not to be ashamed to stand up for Christ and be 
who we are. Isaiah 30, verses 9 through 11. Catch what is being said here. In verse 1, let me go back to verse 1 because we want to clarify. He says, Woe to the obstinate children, declared the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not what? That are not his. They're not mine. Oh, you're carrying out your plan, but it's not my plan for your life. Forming an alliance, but not by my spirit. You're forming an alliance with the world, but not with my spirit. Heaping sin upon sin. Now jump over into verse 9. He says, these are rebellious. These are rebellious people. Deceitful children. Children unwilling to what? Listen. To listen to the Lord's what? Instructions. When you don't identify with home, you don't listen to the instructions that come from home. When you don't identify with your parents, you don't listen to the instructions that come from parents. When you don't identify with a group of people or a person, you don't listen to that person. And he says, they won't listen to my instructions. And part of the problem, because they're not identifying themselves as the people of God. They're not identifying themselves as a child of God. And he says, won't listen to the Lord's instructions. They say to the seers, see, no more visions. And to the prophet, give us no more visions of what is what? What is right. Don't tell me no more about what's right. That's old-fashioned stuff. This is what's right and relative today. The way they did it back then is not the right way today. And before I came to church today, I was hearing on the news with Obama's plan of reaching minority young men. And one of the commentators was saying the first thing Obama left out was this here. Even though he did not have a father in his home, many of these young men, they got to go back and reestablish relationships with their fathers, and these fathers got to go back into the homes. And they got to do what is right. But we are a culture today that do not want to do what is what? Right. We're not willing to do the right thing. And it's so easy, we think, to do the wrong thing. But the wrong thing costs us a lot more than what it does to do what is right. And he says, don't talk to us any longer about doing what is right. He says, tell us pleasant things. That's right. You know, when something's taking place and it's wrong, 
Even in the church, when it's wrong, we want to celebrate wrong, wrongness. No, we don't. If it's not right, it's not right. But he says, don't tell me about it not being right. Tell us pleasant things. Oh, that's so nice you pregnant. That's so nice you having a child, but you're not married to the woman that's having your child. That's so nice that you went out last night and got drunk and just spent up all your rent money. That's so nice that you look so good that you don't even have a dime to put in your gas tank. Speak to me about the things that are pleasing to me. Prophesize illusions. Now catch verse 11 here. Leave this way and get off this path and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. See, Elaine used to get upset sometimes when the kids say, How are you talking about God? How are you talking about God? Anytime you got something, it's God. Hey. I didn't have nothing else to talk about. In reality, it wasn't. You know? Because life was about who? And living it the way what? God wants us to live it. You know? Boy, I'm watching basketball. God help him. Get them two guys off of him, Lord. You know? I'm trying to watch the game now. I'm not interested that far what God's going to do in the game. I'm, I'm trying to watch this game. <laughs> but when I watch the game with Elaine, she's going to bring God into it. And once she pick her team, that's the team God's supposed to bless. <laughs> Leave this way. Get off this path. And stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Do you see a nation today saying the same thing? Don't talk to us about God. Let's not pray to this God. Don't talk about the right ways of God. Let's talk about the ways we want to do it. And look where it's leading us. When we don't have an identity with God and a good self-identity of who we are, as Christians, we come to that same place to say, I don't want to hear nothing else about God. Don't talk to me about Him. Now you can talk to me about all the things of the world, but don't talk to me about God. And watch the destruction that takes place. And that's part of our problem today. The world has shut the mouth of the Christian. And in too many of our homes, our children have shut our mouths when it comes about speaking of the things of God and what is right. Two words in the New Testament.
No more. I'm going to be Lord of my life. I'm going to be the master of my life. I'm going to lead my life. And I just own your teaching, your standards. I just own everything about you, Lord. And he says, I will disown him. Now, look at the disconnection here for a moment. If I'm saying I don't want him, he is saying, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. I really don't know how to illustrate that other than to say this here. If God is interceding on my behalf that he no longer, Christ no longer brings my name before the Father. He no longer speaks of me before the Father. And for that moment, he's, okay, we got this break. We can call it out of fellowship. We can call it out of this or out of that. But there's this break. Because I'm saying with my life and my action, I disown you. That's a deliberate act. That's a deliberate action that is being taken. We'll look into it a little further next week. Paul brings it out. He says, I'm not ashamed. And when we look into our culture and our society and to our life, we find a lot of our kids, and we, if you look at it, when children are ashamed of their parents, when children are ashamed of their home, there's a disconnection. When people are ashamed of their environment, whether there's a disconnection. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone. He's identifying with something. He's identifying with the gospel and with salvation. And what is able to be done, that is God's power. Salvation is a work of God, of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then to the Gentile. The gospel represents all the teaching of God. It's just not the death and burial. Because again, I will say to you, you can't have death without what? Life. So it's the total life of Christ and all that he taught, all that he is. All that he stands for. Don't abbreviate it or shorten it down just to death and resurrection. No, it's about his total life because you cannot have death without life. And that gospel is the teaching. And oftentimes when the gospel is referred to, it's referred to as what? The four gospels. What's in the four gospels? The teachings of Christ. Salvation is the confinement on my boundaries. And I'm able to identify my boundaries. And I am confined. And that's sometimes what we don't like in life is being what? Confined or kept in or pinned in. And I want to break loose and I want to run wild. 
And salvation is the boundaries of being saved, a continuous being saved. As long as you're in these boundaries, that which is outside that wants to destroy you can't get in because it's the power of God that's keeping them out. And the word salvation is continuous being saved, is being rescued. Saved from the dangers of this world. My identity, when I say that I'm saved, I am saying I'm being kept by Christ. I'm hemmed hemmed in by Christ. And I can identify with that. And I can accept it. And that becomes part of my identity. That this is as far as I can go. If I go past this line, I lose part of my identity. If I go over this line, I hurt myself. And we're going to look at some of that next week. How do we as Christians hurt ourselves? And understand this, if Satan can trick you into doing what is wrong, that causes you to have an identity crisis, whether or not if you are a child of God, and if you are loved by God, then Satan has a hook in you that he can just draw you further. In Acts 9-2, and I'm just going to share this and then we'll be done. And then in Acts 11-25, I think it is. In Acts 9-2, it mentions that the early Christians were called the way. The way. The way. Where that word way comes from, there's not a whole lot you can look up on it. You can have different opinions of it. But the one that I like that I read up on is that the early Christians really took the way from John 14.6 when Jesus says, I am the way, truth, and the life. And that the way meant that this is the way of life. Following Christ is the way of life. Living, the, living out the instructions of Christ is the way of life. So they were called the way, the way, the way, the way. And Paul even asked if he could go persecute the way. Any that he found that was in the way. But then it says, chapter 11, that the Christians were first called Christians at Antioch. And when you discover that thing of Christians, it breaks down into being Christ-like. 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 So either word that you use, it brings us to an identity with who? With Christ. So when you say that you're a Christian, are you just trying to say to somebody, I'm saved? See, in America... America is no longer really a Christian nation. 
And we haven't come to grips with that yet. But we still call ourselves a Christian nation. No. I don't know how we can pass bills that are against God's word and then we say at the end of every speech, God bless America. But at the thing is, if you're a Christian, you're saying, I'm a follower of Christ. Are you identifying with Christ? And have you dropped your ethnicity? Have you dropped everything else or put it in its proper place? Under, first of anything, I'm a Christian. Before I'm a black man today, I'm a Christian. Before I'm a man, I'm a Christian. Therefore, I'm a godly man. So what comes first? Godly. What comes first for you? How are you identifying yourself? What's first? A Christian? Godliness? Or do you drop that and become the other? Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for your loving kindness unto us. And we thank you, Lord, for being the God who continues, O God, to teach us that we are your children. And to show forth your love for us. That we are loved, O God, we are sincerely loved by you. And we truly are, O God, a peculiar people. We are strangers just traveling through this land. May we understand what... Peter says that we're strangers, we're aliens in a strange land. This is not our home. Help us, Lord, not to identify with the things of this world, but to truly see ourselves as godly women, godly men, to truly see ourselves as the children of God, to see ourselves as your messengers as we travel through this world. Lord, I pray that you would work in us and through us for your glory. And Lord, if there's any of us, Lord, having a crisis, an identity crisis, oh God, you're the only one who can secure us. You're the only one who can speak to us and say, you are my daughter, you are my son, you are my beloved. For we cannot persuade people that they're saved. We cannot persuade people that they are the children of God. That is the work of the Spirit. And we pray, Father, that the Spirit of God will work in every one of our hearts, identifying, oh God, who we are in Christ. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to give to the Lord, we want to give with thanksgiving. And we want to give recognizing that he has provided for us so richly. God has graciously given unto us far more than what we could ever, ever, ever deserve or even begin to imagine. God has been good to us. Father, I want to thank you and praise you, O God, that you have enriched our lives, not so much with material things, but with that, Lord, which money cannot buy, and that is your presence. That is your knowledge of yourself being poured into our lives. Lord,